Well, it is a joy and privilege to be with you once again. Um, I missed out on last Sunday because uh, I was uh, unwell, got a sore throat and cold, and I think you can hear that it's still there, but uh, hopefully uh, my throat will, will uh, not give way. So I'd like to um, share with you this morning what the Lord has laid uh, on my heart in terms of um, the passage that was just read. Um, Isaiah 55, or the book of Isaiah, we all know um, Isaiah is a prophet of God, he's speaking to Israel. His message, um, 66 chapters, can be sort of uh, roughly summarized into hope and judgment. So the first few chapters, after maybe chapter 39, are all about judgment. And then uh, chapter 40 starts, comfort, comfort my people, and then we have messages of hope. And so um, Isaiah, whose, whose ministry is um, during several kings, some of them being uh, Uzzah as well as uh, Hezekiah, um, he's, he's challenging Israel, the, the people and the leaders, to be faithful to God. He's encouraging them, exhorting them, rebuking them not to indulge uh, in idol worship, and he's encouraging the leaders not to forge ungodly alliances with other nations like Egypt or Syria. Uh, the kings are, are, are scared that they'll lose their political power, and, um, and Isaiah is saying, look, you've got to trust the Lord, you've got to trust in His provision and His protection, but um, in, uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 39, I think it is, uh, we have the story of Hezekiah, and um, um, there's a few. There's a Babylonian delegation that comes visiting, and Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah opens the treasuries, then shows them all the wealth of, uh, of Israel. And um, God's not happy with that. Hezekiah is not happy with that. Uh, Isaiah is not happy with that. And he comes and tells Hezekiah, "Look, everything that you've gathered, all that you've shown, all that your fathers have gathered, is going to be carried away into Babylon." And so we get an idea of the Babylonian captivity in there, in Isaiah's um, ministry, and it's, it's given at least a hundred years before uh, Israel actually gets into exile. And, uh, and, and uh, the book of Isaiah basically is this message of judgment and, and hope. And uh, I'd like us to understand that whilst the, uh, the book of Isaiah is for Israel, was for Israel, there's much that can be applicable to us today as well. And we, 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 we look at judgment because each one of us are under judgment um, because of our sin. And there's hope only in Christ. And Isaiah gives us a picture of that in 53 where he talks about the servant of God, the Lamb, who takes our sin, who uh, God punishes on our behalf. And uh, we see that the, the, the servant of God is actually the model for Israel because the servant does what Israel couldn't or didn't. And so the, the servant of God serves to be a model for us so that we can be who God wants us to be. So in this, um, in this study uh, that I'm going to call The Pursuit of Forgiveness, um, we're going to look at it in, in three and four sections. And I can see sort of four rough sections as we go through the text. And the first, the first part is in verses 6 and 7. We call that the call to forgiveness, uh, or the call to seek forgiveness. Uh, 
The next part we call the, I remember what I wrote, the cause for seeking forgiveness. Why does God want Israel to seek forgiveness and why does He want us to seek forgiveness? We'll see that in verses 8 to 11. Then we'll see the cause of forgiveness in the same text, verses 8 to 11. And lastly, we'll look at the consequences of forgiveness. So that's roughly uh, the, the, the flow, uh, the outline that we will follow. And uh, we'll start with number one, the call to seek forgiveness. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I don't know if you remember, Jordan shared um, from Isaiah 55 a while ago, and he talked about from the first five verses, and it was an evangelistic message about how do we share the most important message in the world to the world. Would that be fair to say, Jordan? That's okay, I got that one. Um, and, and, and if we, if we look and moving on from there, how do we share that message of, of hope and evangelism? And hopefully here, we'll see some principles about what forgiveness actually looks like. What does it mean? Why does God call us to forgiveness? And why does He want us to seek His forgiveness? What is the, what is the rationale? What is the motivation to seek forgiveness? And we, we, we spent time around the table uh, this morning. Uh, we were exhorted several times to, to get right to the Lord in our heart. There were times of, of, of quietness, which was Christ to say, just get right to the Lord, confess your sin, come before Him with sincerity, come before Him with an attitude of genuineness and humility, and get right. Why do we need to do that? And hopefully we'll, we'll see some principles that, that apply and pertain to, to that idea of quieting our hearts before the Lord. So what does the call to seek forgiveness involve? And I'm just picking it up from four key words that I can see in the text. And it is seek, call, forsake, and return. <laughs> seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And let him return to the Lord. That is what Yahweh was calling Israel to do. That is what he is calling us to do. Today, <coughs> seek, call, forsake, return. That's simply what the call to seek forgiveness involves. Uh, if we look at the word seek, now uh, we, we hear a lot about people, uh, you know, what, what, what religion are you on? Oh, no, I'm, I'm seeking the truth. I'm, I'm looking for the truth. It's quite a hippie thing to say. It's quite a trendy thing to say that you're religious or spiritual and you're seeking something, which is fine, but in the context of, of Isaiah, um, the, the word seek means to pursue facts with an inquiring mind. You're actually studying something. You are engaged in a pursuit that is almost academic. You are there with the intention, with the intention to learn, to find out, to investigate. You want to know more about what the subject at hand is all about. And so the call to seek forgiveness, I would say, is a call to investigate who God is. 
Yahweh is saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. Yahweh, the first cause of all things, the creator, the ever-being one, the ever-present one, the all-knowing one, the self-existing one, is calling people to investigate who he is. Now, the problem that I see over here, sometimes we could fail to understand, or what the world fails to understand is, we're not investigating, we're not seeking a scientific problem. We're not seeking to solve a philosophical problem. We're not seeking to solve a supernatural problem or develop an understanding of science or metaphysics or philosophy. God is calling us to investigate Him. We are seeking to find out about a person. Seeking is not about seeking some conceptual idea of what truth is or some vague, mystical, fuzzy, you know, idea or concept. We have been called to understand a person. I want us to understand and appreciate that because the solution for understanding a person is listening to them. Hearing them out. See what they have to say. You have to understand and believe that the person exists before you can understand them. Spend time to them. And how do you listen to them? Well, you just hear them speak. Listen, hear. But the problem that I, 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 I see with, with a lot of evangelicals today is they've been trained to hear what God has to say about them. We love to read the Word of God and read ourselves into the Word of God. I love the story of David and Goliath. Why? Because I'm David. I love to see about Noah and the, and, and, and the ark because, hey, I'm Noah. I love to find out about, about Elijah because I'm Elijah. I love to find out about Gideon and how he defeated all those armies with just 500 people because, hey, I'm Gideon. I saw a meme yesterday about, um, about how atheists very often uh, complain, you know, if God is good, why doesn't he do something about the evil in the world? And then you tell them that he destroyed the world in the flood and they get upset about it. But do we see the problem in ourselves? We don't see the problem in ourselves. We, we want to know what, what God says about me. How good am I? How, how blessed am I? How loved am I? How precious am I? How special am I? It's almost as if God exists for my happiness. It almost as if um, he, 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 he's there to ensure that nothing happens to my plans. I see God through my eyes rather than seeing myself through his eyes. And God is not wanting for us to seek him so that we can find out more about ourselves. He wants us to seek him so he, we can find out more about him. He is the object of study. Let's not forget that. Let's not get sidetracked with trying to find ourselves in that, and we will eventually. Once we get to know the Lord, we will find out who we are because we are made in His image. But let's understand, we are made in His image, He's not made in ours. 
If we want to know God, if we want to know ourselves, then we have to know the image that we were made in. There's this very modern idea that you know we need to first know ourselves and then we can know God. No, no, no. We need to know God first. And then we will know who we are. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Does this mean that God may not be found? Yeah. It means that. Seek the Lord while he is available. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Found is, is the idea of, 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 uh, of divine providence that, that, that uh, helps you to find what you're looking for. While he may be found. Don't seek God in your time. Seek God in his time. It's not about being, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it when I have the time, or I'll get to it when, you know, uh, I've just got a few things to cross off my plate. No, no, no. You see him, see him now. The example that, I, that, that came to my mind, and um, uh, we had the privilege of, of, of um, going to Iceland earlier this year. And uh, the big reason for that was Brinda wanted to see the Northern Lights. And that's what we were there for. We were there to see the Northern Lights. And um, if you know anything about Iceland, it's bitterly cold. Uh, we were wearing like three or four layers of thermals and then, you know, um, ski stuff. And it was just trying to keep warm. It was great. It was, it was fantastic. But, um, you know, the lights come on at night. And so we told the, the reception to call us when the lights came. And then when the, we're, having, we're watching television or something, and then the lights come, and, you know, waiting to do and see the lights in your time. You go when the lights are there. You go when the lights can be found. That's the idea here. I'm not saying that God is flippant or, or capricious or, you know, whimsical, that he appears and goes in and out of existence, no, no. But the idea is, you've got to go when it can be found. That's the whole point. You're there to see the lights. You get up, get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, that's what you have to do, go and see the lights. Because you're there to see the lights. And if you're there to seek the Lord, then you do whatever it has to do, you have to do to find him. You will find God. If you seek him as one who has ultimate value. If he's so precious to you that you're not you're gonna lose sleep over finding him, that you're gonna do anything to, you know to sell anything like the pearl precious price, you're gonna find him. You're gonna do anything that you need to do to find him and gain him. And that's the kind of seeking that the Lord wants us to indulge in. You know, I was thinking about this. When we, when we see the normal lights, it's not like, oh, I think the normal lights are like this for me, and it may be different for you, but hey, that's okay. You can see it in your way, I'll see it in mine. Doesn't mind that mine are purple and yours are pink. I can see mine here in Adelaide if I want, I can just put it up on my wall. No, there's an objective reality. You don't get to, to dictate what the lights are, you don't get to dictate when they appear, you don't get to dictate how long they're there for, they're there. You don't get to dictate how you see God. You don't get to dictate who He is and how He ought to be. He's there. He is who He is. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. 
to call obviously is to address him specifically. I mean, uh, you're not going to call Allah or Vishnu or I don't know, Buddha and expect Yahweh to turn up. And I, and I don't mean that uh, it, to be funny or humorous. I, I mean that very seriously because uh, we, we had a, a guy rock up at a home group once uh, a few years ago and and uh, he was Indian and, and he came to be Hindu or Buddhist or something like that. And we said, so why, why are you here? Why do you want to know about Jesus? And he said, oh, because I think Christianity is the easiest of all religions. You don't have to do much stuff. Which is true. No, no rituals and elaborate traditions and, and any of that. But um, but he, he would have said that he was a seeker. I don't know where he is today. But he was not seeking the living God, he was seeking his own idea of who God should be. And that's not what Yahweh wants us to do. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Call. Uh, you know, what am I calling him out to? For mercy. For pardon. For grace. For forgiveness. Lift our voices to him while he is near. Why, do, why are we asking for mercy? Why are we asking for a Mercedes Benz or a Porsche or a Lamborghini or a house? Or, well, it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and the Lord will have compassion on him and he will abundantly pardon. So pardon is in view. Forgiveness or the seeking of forgiveness is in view. Now, what, is, what do we mean by the wicked? Uh, someone who deliberately deviates from um, the right standard. The unrighteous. I, I want to read this for you because it's it's not typically what we what we would understand the term to be because there's some nuances here. And it says the primary meaning of the word seems to have two facets. A stress on trouble which moves on to wickedness. And an emphasis on emptiness, which moves on to idolatry. So the word stresses the painful aftermath of sin. And so the wicked and the right and the unrighteous are those who who are rebellious against God and who live with the painful consequences of their rebellion. So very clearly, it's talking about people who are are unsaved, the un, unregenerate. So does that mean we? It does not apply to us. I, I think it definitely applies to us because the principles of seeking forgiveness are universal. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's interesting. Let him abandon his way, his, his way of life, his, his pathway, his trajectory of life. Let him cast that aside, let him leave desolate is the word, let him leave that behind. It's a call to jettison the pathways that you frequent in your life. <coughs> it is a call to reject and turn your back on the pathways that are well worn in your life. Not saying that uh, you can use a different route to get to the same destination. No, no, no. We're saying reject the route, reject the destination, just turn your back on the whole thing. Let the wicked forsake his way. And here's interesting. And
that the unrighteous man is false. His personal reflections, his opinions, his viewpoints, his perspectives, his values. Let the unrighteous man abandon, forsake his thoughts. Think about that. How do you forsake your thoughts? How do you abandon what is in you and so much a part of you that it is who you are, it's your identity?
to her child. That's the message that Isaiah was giving Israel. That's the message that God is giving us. That, that there is a deep and intimacy that can be restored if only we seek and call and forsake and return. But what does the prodigal son do? He's, he's falling on hard times, he's eating for pig slop. Oh, my father's service is better than this. And I'll, I'll just go back and, and I'll, I'll be a servant and I'm sure that I won't have to eat pig slop because, you know, my father's servant eats better than this. That was his expectation. I'm just going to be a servant. And how does the father party? Declares the Lord, but anyway, I'm, that's what the Lord is declaring. 
My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So there's a difference. Now I just want us to understand, it's not just a difference, it is opposite. The sun and the moon are different. But they're not just different, they're opposite. And so God is not just saying you are different. God is saying you are at loggerheads with me. You are opposed to me. Your thoughts are actually in opposition to my thoughts. And your ways are in opposition to my ways. So it's not just different and you and your small corner and I and mine. No, no, no. You are actually at enmity with me. As, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So seek, call, forsake, return. Why? Because there's this distance between us. There's a difference between us that you need to repent of. Now here's the question.
my word is temporary, his word is eternal. What he does happens, what he says happens. And so God is calling his people to repentance because he wants them to recognize his sovereign authority over their lives. My <coughs> ways are higher, sovereign, more authoritative. I can do things you can't. I can speak and the universe is formed. I can speak and say be still and the storm is calm. I can summon demons out of people. You can't. Therefore, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Forsake your ways and return to him and he will pardon. The text is reminding us whose word runs the universe. Why do we need to seek forgiveness? Because we fail to acknowledge God's sovereign authority over us. That is why our ways are not His ways. That is why our thoughts are not His thoughts. That is why there is a gap, there is a distance between how He thinks and we think because we do not give Him the, uh, the, the, the place of reverence that He deserves as our Creator. What is this problem? It is the problem of sin and specifically the problem of pride. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14 But you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. And I will ascend above the height of the clouds. And I will make myself like the most high. No, nothing's going to happen if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be like God. You fail to recognize the place of authority that God has over our lives. We don't like that. We don't like to be told what to do. But God is saying, just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they don't return there without watering the earth, so my word will not return to me without doing what I tell it to do. <coughs> yes, he is, he is infinitely higher above us. He is infinitely transcendent. He is infinitely holy. He is infinitely just. He is infinitely loving and all those things. But he is not just calling us to say, yeah, good on you God. He's calling us to recognize that we are built in that image and we have fallen from that image. And so we need to respond seeking forgiveness. That's the cause for seeking forgiveness. But how, how do we now, um, how do we do it? And so I want us to look at course. 
for seeking forgiveness. And it's still, it's still in the same text, it's, it's still in verses 8 to 11, because I think it's quite simple. It's, it's if, if, um, if, if he's telling us to seek forgiveness because we're not doing something, then how do we correct that we do those things? So, for example, how do we seek forgiveness? What's the principle for seeking forgiveness? Well, recognize God's sovereign authority over our lives. Do we really, really, really believe that He is sovereignly authoritative over our lives? Because I believe that, and I'm saying this for my own self, is if I, if I believe that, I, my life would be different. Visibly. My choices would be different. My speech would be different. My attitude would be different. Because I realize that I'm no longer answerable to the Australian government or to my boss or to my wife or to my church. I'm responsible and accountable to the Lord of heaven and earth. And that is why, while I can live my life in a beautiful way, in, in, in a morally upright way, what is going on in the depths of my heart that none of you can see, but the Lord can. And therefore, I need to bring my thoughts so that they are His thoughts. And then my ways will be like His ways. Number two, recognize God's provision for your life. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Uh, the Lord in His grace provides for us through nature. The rain and the snow water the ground. Seeds can grow, stuff can grow and, and, and so we can have seeds to plant again and bread to eat. Do we recognize the, how dependent we are, really, on the Lord. It's almost like, you know, I need to be dependent on the Lord for my salvation, but that's about it, I can handle everything else. <coughs> I mean, my, my, my ill health of the past week has just reminded me of how dependent I am on the Lord. <coughs> but what else? Is that just it? Salvation and health? That's it? Well, I think I think our thoughts need to be aligned where we recognize everything in our lives is dependent on the Lord. That's why we say grace before we eat. And that's why we say grace, perhaps you might, before getting on the road. <coughs> that's why we, we humble ourselves and not just saying, oh, let's gather around and pray, you know, let me pray. No, no, no. I can do it in the, in, in the quietness of my heart. I can do it at my desk at work. I can do it while driving on the way to work. I don't need a place where I can be a quiet with God to let Him know how much I love Him and how much I honor Him and how much I adore Him because of who He is and how authoritative He is in my life. What does God want from you but to walk humbly? Micah 7. Recognize the authority of God. Recognize His provision in your life. And then, I think this is really important, recognize the power and the potency of God's Word. <coughs> this is, I mean, can any one of you say this? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, so my word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty. How many of us make plans 
we want to go for holidays, we want to do things, we want to buy stuff, and we want to see people. And how many of those plans actually come to fruition? Some, not all. We have careers that we want, and we want to do things, go places, meet people. My word will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Everything the Lord desires will be accomplished. We sang today, Hast thou not seen how all thy desires have been granted in all he ordained? Do we, do we recognize what it must take for God's will to be accomplished as He said it would. Isaiah gives us the perfect example. hundred years before the Babylonian captivity, you're showing them all this stuff in your treasury, all of it's going to be carried into Babylon. What happens? All of it is carried into Babylon. How do scholars interpret that? Oh, no one can actually know the future, so it must have been written after in, in captivity. Oh, that's, that's what Isaiah says. That's what the Lord says. My word, which goes from my mouth, will not return to me empty. What does that mean? Not return to me empty. Its course will not change. The trajectory of my word and, 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 and the, the path of my word will, will not be moved. My word is like an arrow which will not deviate from the target at which I have sent it. There are no disappointments. Recognize the certainty of God's word. It will not return empty without accomplishing what I desire. Accomplishing has this idea of breaking through uh, to, to achieve a, a result. Or it's actually tearing through something to go at, and hit a target behind. The word of God is active and living. It's not empty talk. God's talk is not cheap. Recognize the purpose of God's word. And his purpose is not to do my will. His purpose is to do his will. And it will not, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. Desire has the, the idea of delighted attention uh, or to almost like it's like pleasure as in a spouse. God delights in bringing his word to fruition. Do we delight in God's delight? Are we praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Are we bringing ourselves, do we understand that prayer is not about us trying to change God's mind, it's about God trying to change our minds so that we bring our thoughts and our ways in alignment with His. Will not return without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's will will in no matter be revoked, defeated, 
Diversion. Do we, do we, do we, does that give us a sense of who this God is? From the beginning of time, what He has said has come to us. Do we understand the weight of that? Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Ha ha ha. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. Your people are going to end up in, in, a, in a land that is not theirs and your sons will be in bondage. What happens? Oh, I'm going to bring them out into the land of milk and honey and, and in a promised land. What happens? If you do not worship me and if you go after other gods, I'm going to put you into captivity. What happens? And now there's this message of hope. That if you return to me, I will pardon and abundantly pardon. And so lastly, we come to this consequences of seeking forgiveness. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the, tree, of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. So we need to understand that this is not just when we put it up in our homes as a verse, we need to understand that the context is God's call for man to seek forgiveness. So there is a very literal prophetic sort of sense in which we need to read this in terms of this was a, a, a literal prophecy that was given to Israel. But there is also a general or metaphoric sort of way in which we can understand it as being applicable to ourselves. Now, in, in a very literal sense, in, in a prophetic sense, it was meant for Israel. It was meant for hope after judgment. If you come back to me, if you forsake your thoughts, if you mend your ways, then, and if you recognize my authority over your life, if you recognize that I have the power to, to, to do things and everything that I says is going to happen, then you will go out with joy. Yes, you will go out to captivity, but you will come out. And you will go forth in peace, not in war. Your, 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 your sons and your nobles were all taken captive. And they were in Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of them. But you should go out in peace. You, should, you will go out with joy, not in mourning. And then here's the mountains and the hills. Obviously, that's not that's 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 poetic language. It's, it's going to be such a time of celebration and and just undisputed work of God that it's almost going to be like the mountains are going to be flattened before you as you come out of, cap out of captivity back into Zion. It's like, it's like nature itself wants to celebrate with you because you have been restored. You will go forth with joy, not with tears, you will be led forth with peace. And that, that joy is 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 um it's it's just like a celebration. 
It's not just any ordinary sort of joy. That peace is, is God's shalom, His, His wholeness. It's not saying that, you, uh, that it's going to be tranquil or, 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 or everything is going to be just wonderful serenity. <coughs> but you will enjoy the peace of God regardless of what the storms may be around you. Peace is not the absence of chaos. It is God's wholeness within that chaos. You will go out with joy. You will be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. And instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. Now those are just some, some uh, the thorn bush and the nettles are, are, are expressions and symbols of the curse, judgment, nettles, thorns. But instead of that, so God said, look, Israel, uh, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You are going to be taken into captivity. But when you return, no more thorn bushes, no more nettles. The cypress will come up. The cypress is a, is a symbol of, of, of strength, of, of, uh, of just being strong, standing firm like the cedars of Lebanon. And, and the myrtle is a symbol of prosperity. The curse is reversed. <coughs> Judgment is reversed. When we come and seek forgiveness before the Lord. And here's the thing, this last verse over here, or this last part of verse 13, uh, the tense of it gives us to understand that this is the most important part of the verse, of everything that's been said. When you come and, and seek forgiveness, and the Lord forgives you, and you go back in, in, uh, from captivity with joy, this will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign, which will not be cut off. This will be a testimony to the Lord's faithfulness in your life. This will be, and that word memorial actually is the word name. Uh, it, it means the name of the Lord. It means, and, and, and if you know your Old Testament, you know that name is not just uh, the name of someone. It actually refers to their character. And so we have an idea here that the consequences of seeking forgiveness from the Lord Are very clearly seen in his character that forgives. This is something that will be an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. This is something that has not happened yet in, in terms of actual uh, literal prophetic fulfillment. We don't will. Because whatever word goes out from his mouth will not come back without achieving what he has sent it to do. Are we making God's thoughts our thoughts? Have we begun by recognizing his sovereign authority over our lives? And I ask that because when I, when I when I look at my life, I'm not a, a murderer, uh, I'm not an anarchist, 
some material. Um, I have a few demerit points, but that's okay. But most of us would seem would say that we're good people in the eyes of the law, and perhaps we are. But the Lord is saying, hey, your thoughts need to be my thoughts. The way you think needs to be the way that I think. Because He has made us. And we are the sheep of His pasture. May His ways be our ways. And may His thoughts be ours. Our gracious God and loving Father, we just want to thank you for the forgiving God that you are. Slow to anger and quick to show mercy. Father God, we just pray that you would help us to seek you while you may be found, to call on you while you are near, to forsake our wicked ways and to return to you so that we can experience your saving grace and your compassion every single time. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. And so we pray, Lord, that each time we just think wrongly, that we will come before you confessing our attitude, confessing our sin, confessing the wickedness that is in our heart that no one else can see, but you are, it is just open in front of you, it is on display in front of you. We pray that you would give us hearts that are truly, truly repentant, desiring to align our, our thoughts, our innermost thoughts, with you. And so, Lord, we would reflect the image in which we were created in, and we would be more and more like the image of your Son. We pray that he would come soon, but in the meanwhile, we pray that we would be reflecting him to a watching world. He asks for His glory in His name. Amen.